Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. Have a beer, pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Well, Islanders, last week we had Stacey Carstar, who used ethyl glycol or antifreeze to murder two husbands. And during the episode, I mentioned how she had watched Forensic Files, Cold Hearted. That episode was about Lynn Turner, who had killed both her husbands with antifreeze. So let's hear her story this week. Now, references are from Forensic Files, AJC, which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, CNN, Oxygen Crime News, and their show, Snapped. Okay, so, as I said, last week's episode was one where the killer, Stacey Caster, used antifreeze to kill two husbands after seeing this week's star of the show, Lynn Turner, do the same thing to her two husbands. So let's get stuck straight into it. Okay, so we go to Cobb County, Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S. of A. And it's here that Julia Lynn Turner, or as she was known, Lynn, worked as a 911 dispatch officer. Lynn was born on the 13th of July, 1968, in Marietta, Georgia. And funny enough, the movie Pretty Poison was a hit at that time. Lynn was adopted by the Womack family when she was just five months old. The Womacks were well off, but they divorced in 1973 when Lynn was just five years old. Now, Lynn went to stay with her mother, Helen, who married again soon after. Lynn and her stepfather, D.L. Gregory, and for the life of me, I can't find out what D.L. means. Anyway, Lynn didn't get on very well with him. As a teenager, she got busted for drugs and ended up in rehab in Atlanta. Now, Lynn kept herself fit, had a bit of a bubbly personality. She liked flashy cars. She always seemed to have plenty of money. Now, Lynn always wanted to be a cop. She hung around cop bars, but she failed the psychological exam, but ended up getting a job in a 911 call centre as a dispatch officer. In fact... She used to tell people, now whether or not this is true or not, she had a job with an undercover narcotics unit in Chattanooga, Tennessee for a while. So she seemed to like everything to do with the law enforcement lifestyle. Now, it was known by many that she would sleep around with police officers that she met at the bars they hung out in, which is fine and I'm not judging her at all on that. In 1992, Lynn ended up having a one-night stand with Morris Glenn Turner, or Glenn as he was known, a police officer in the Cobb County Motor Division, Precinct 4. They'd met in a bar. Glenn was born on the 25th of September 1963 in Atlanta, Fulton Fulton County, sorry, Georgia. He was known as a happy guy and his nickname was Buddha because he was on the chubby side. But things went further for the couple, progressing from just a hookup into a full-blown relationship. Lynn was always buying Glenn's Glenn gifts. She was really trying hard, and eventually they were engaged. Glenn's family and his mates thought she was too good to be true, with Glenn's sister describing her as a tramp. 
and his police mates placing bets on how long the marriage would last. But nothing could change Glenn's mind. He was in love and they were married on August the 21st, 1993 at a Baptist church in Cobb County. Now, Lynn pressured Glenn to change the benefactor on his life insurance from his mother to herself. Now, this was done before they were married, which I guess in hindsight probably wasn't the best move. So Lynn ended up leaving her job, but still liked the high life, racking up credit card debts that Glenn's wage just couldn't support. He ended up taking a second job and apparently multiple jobs, but this main second job was at a petrol station to help pay the bills, and Lynn took up a second man. She started seeing former sheriff's deputy and now Forsyth County firefighter Randy Thompson. By this stage, Lynn and Glenn were both sleeping in separate rooms. It was rumoured that Lynn was also seeing another cop from a different county at the same time and also that since getting married, they'd only, this is Glenn and her, they'd only had sex twice. Now, Lynn told Glenn she had women's problems, but word around town that she was banging plenty of dudes, not just Glenn. Well, I guess she wasn't banging Glenn. As Glenn tried desperately to keep them financially afloat, he would get he would get everything paid. He'd eventually work enough to get everything paid. The credit cards got back in order, and then Lynn would go and spend again, maxing out the credit cards. Not only was there credit card debt to pay off, but also, you know, all those extra fees on top for missing payments. And where where was she spending a lot of that money? Well, that was going to buy her new man, Randy, gifts and taking not only him, but his family out as well. By 1995, Glenn had started talking to his family about divorcing Lynn. He may or may not have suspected Lynn of having an affair, but he had just about had enough of Lynn, spending more than he could earn, not having a job, and they are always fighting about finances. But Lynn still wanted her high life. On March the 2nd, 1995, Glenn became seriously ill and admitted himself to emergency, complaining of nausea, diarrhoea, vomiting and dizziness. After some time, he started to feel better and went home to recover. Now, Lynn helped him out with a plate of lime green jello. The next day, Glenn's friends went to see if he was all right and when he failed to answer the door, they gained access and they found him dead. An autopsy would show... He died from an irregular heart condition. Now, within two weeks of Glenn's death, Lynn had already moved in with Randy Thompson. She was able to collect $100,000 on Glenn's life insurance and about, I heard two figures, between $650 and $800 a month on his pension plan. Also, I haven't been able to find out the dollar amount of it, but she they had cars, they had the house, they had everything in it because she kept buying shit. So her material wealth, once her debts were taken into consideration, would have been some sort of reasonable amount. Now, Randy had a history of sometimes overdosing. Now, I'm not trying to say he attempted to kill himself, but he did have some issues and had overdosed on prescription medicine in the past. So Randy and his family had been told by Lynn that she had divorced her previous husband, Glenn. They had no idea he was dead. 
Now, Lynn and Randy would live together and eventually have two kids, but they didn't marry. Now, this was probably because Lynn would lose Glenn's pension money that she was getting every month, pension money that Randy had no idea she was getting. Now, Lynn went about her spending ways again, causing financial stress in the household. Eventually, this is after quite a few years, Randy moved out of the marital house and Lynn, she got control of the kids. Randy had to walk on eggshells with Lynn if he wanted to see the kids as anything would upset her and she would refuse to let him visit. During October 2000, Randy had minor sinus surgery and he did suffer complications in the form of a staph infection and he also had to get a stent near his heart. Now, he did fully recover from these setbacks and he planned to get the stent taken out in January 2001. Now, Randy, although separated from Lynn, he did hope to get back with her, mainly because of the kids. He just wanted a normal family household for them. He was optimistic one night when Lynn invited him out to the Longhorn Steakhouse for a family meal. So on the Friday night, this is the 19th of January 2001, they had dinner with the kids, but then they went back to Lynn's for dessert. It was lime jello. On the Sunday, Randy, he didn't stay there overnight either, so he wasn't getting any. He went home Friday night. He wasn't feeling too well on Saturday, and on the Sunday, Randy had been sick all day. He was vomiting, nauseous, and dizzy. A couple of friends invited him to lunch, but he was so sick they decided to go check on him. He was out of it, and they knew he did have medication in the house. So they collected it all up and flushed it just in case he took too much and overdosed. They did take him to hospital, and he was diagnosed as having a stomach virus. And Once he felt better, they discharged him. Now, Lynn went over to his house several times to take care of him, bringing him tea and food. The next day, Monday, January the 22nd, Randy's friends again rocked up to his house to make sure he was okay because he wasn't answering his phone. And when they got there, he didn't answer the door, but his car was there. They tried his phone again, no answer. They ended up kicking in the door and Randy was on the couch, dead. An autopsy by the medical examiner revealed crystals in his kidneys, so he asked for a toxicology report. The report came back saying, yes, he did have oxalate crystals in his kidneys, but not enough to be lethal. And these oxalate crystals are formed when you consume ethyl glycol, or antifreeze. So his cause of death was because of heart problems, they said, because he had an enlarged heart. At Randy's funeral, in the time between the ceremony and the burial, so that small amount of time after the ceremony, let's all go to the burial, Lynn, she got on her phone to the insurance agent asking about Randy's life insurance payout. What the fuck? She would be in shock, though, when she found out that the $200,000 extra life insurance policy that had been taken out on Randy's life had been left to lapse. So no money coming from there. There was another smaller one from his work, and that was only for a few thousand dollars. Then Randy's mum gets a sympathy card from, of all people, Glenn's mum. 
Now, they ended up talking over the phone. Randy's mum finds out that Lynn wasn't divorced from Glenn, but in fact, he died. And that she was also seeing Randy while Glenn was still alive. They discuss how suspicious it seems that both their fit and reasonably healthy sons, with no real heart problems or history of it, they both die of heart issues. Then, both mums contact the medical examiner and they have a chat with him. Now, the story concerned the medical examiner so much that he decided to look into their cases once more. Now, he got got the toxicologist to go back over the kidney sample data from Randy and it was found that they'd made a mistake and that 10 times more ethylene glycol had been in Randy's body than previously calculated. I mean, what? how do you fuck up that much? The medical examiner then changed the cause of death for Randy from an enlarged heart to homicide. The murder investigation was opened with Lynn Turner, the prime suspect. Then the medical examiner went back over kidney slides of Glenn Turner and there it was, oxalate crystals created from ingesting ethylene glycol, antifreeze. Now, Glenn's body was then exhumed for another autopsy. This would confirm that Glenn had been poisoned with ethylene glycol. A new death certificate was issued stating Glenn's death was homicide and the investigation into his death was reopened. And yes, Lynn was the prime suspect. So, I did describe what ethylene glycol, or in this case... It was the main ingredient of antifreeze. So I'll just go over it again if you haven't listened to last week's show. Okay, so ethyl glycol, what is it and what does it do to you? Well, ethylene glycol is a colourless, odourless sweet liquid commonly found in antifreeze where the bright green dye is used so so you can't mistake it for anything else, really. Now, because of this being odourless, and it's slightly sweet, it can be mixed into a drink, especially an alcoholic drink, and the effects are masked by the alcohol. As the first stage of ethyl glycol poisoning is that you will feel intoxicated, dizzy, you'll be lacking coordination of muscle movements, you'll be drooling, depressed, and have slurred speech, seizures, abnormal eye movements, headaches, and confusion and like I said last week that might sound like your Saturday or Sunday morning now this first stage that lasts between 30 minutes and 12 hours stage two which goes from 12 hours to 36 hours the signs of alcohol poisoning subside but the damage to your body is still occurring you may have an elevated heart rate feel dehydrated and have high blood pressure These symptoms are a result of accumulation of organic acids formed by the metabolism of ethylene glycol. Now, most most deaths occur during this stage. Now, if you happen to get to the third stage, that's somewhere between 24 and 72 hours. This is where your kidneys fail, fail with calcium oxalate crystals forming here. Now, forming there. Now, that's what was in these kidney slides. Severe lethargy. Coma, depression, vomiting, seizures, drooling. And guess what? You lose your appetite. My God. If your kidneys fail at this stage, you may recover, but the chances aren't high. Now, I think this is, 
if you get to the third stage only if you haven't had a lot. You sort of stretch out to that stage and you might recover. Mm. But if you've had a bit more, you'll get knocked over by the second stage. Luckily, most countries now add an agent to antifreeze to make it bitter tasting. So, by November the 1st, 2002, Lynn is charged with the murder of Glenn Turner. The prosecution would say that Lynn put antifreeze in Glenn's food, namely Jello, his soup, and in his sweet tea. I think it was iced tea. The motivation was so she could collect insurance on his life insurance policies, and she would also get a bonus by being eligible to collect his pension from the police force. Also, it would give her more access to Randy Thompson. One witness from the vet surgery she visited told the court that Lynn had asked how much antifreeze it would take to kill a dog. She told them that she had issues with feral cats and asked what they would use to kill them. They told her what what they used and that it was a controlled substance and no, they're not going to sell her any. So she wanted to find out how much antifreeze it would take to kill a dog, then work out, well, if a dog's about a quarter of the weight or half a weight of a human, I just need to give them double. They also noticed a bottle of antifreeze in Glenn's garage that was totally overlooked previously. Now, this was in photos taken of the house when Glenn, the investigation into Glenn's death first happened. And, of course, they said it was heart failure. So that was it. When they look back over these photos, they see a big container of antifreeze just sitting in one of the photos. Now, on May the 14th, 2004, she was found guilty, even though most of the evidence was circumstantial. Now, what did help was they were able to introduce as evidence facts that they had discovered in relation to Randy's investigation, even though she hadn't yet been charged for his murder. Now, this is called similar transaction, where something is so similar, uh, like an MO, that it's sometimes allowed as evidence in another court case. Now, we have something very similar here in New South Wales, where if you've been convicted of a crime, and you've basically done the same crime, in some circumstances, they're allowed to bring that case's facts into the current case. Now, it's usually only for really bad things. It doesn't happen all the time. Something like murder or rape or something like that. So, anyway, let's go on. Lynn was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 14 years. A few months later, in October 2004, Lynn was charged with the murder of Randy Thompson. On March the 12th, 2007, geez, these things seem to take time, Her trial started and it was almost a carbon copy of the first trial. A lot of the same witnesses, same MO of Randy being poisoned by Lynn with antifreeze in his jello and his food also. She also had the motivation to kill because she thought he still had this $200,000 life insurance policy that they'd set up for Randy years before. But as I said before, Randy had stopped paying for it And maybe he had some sort of clue about Lynn, which is pretty dodgy, and that's why he did let it lapse. On the 24th of March 2007, Lynn again would be found guilty. 
This time, though, she had three options on her sentence, which would be decided by the jury. There was life with parole, life without parole, or the death sentence. On the 27th of March 2007, Lynn Turner was sentenced to life without parole. Now, the prosecutors, they really thought she should die. And that's about it. But I guess when it comes down to jurors, some people may not want to be responsible for making someone die, especially there there was a lot of circumstantial evidence. Then, snap to this documentary on Lynn Turner's case, and as we heard last week, Stacey Caster gets the inspiration to kill both her husbands from watching it. I guess it's not too fair to put that on Snap that their documentary caused somebody else's death or another two people's death, but that is where she got the idea. Now, these two are so similar. They both basically get away with the first husband's murder. But then after the second husband dies, they dig up the first husband in both cases, and their whole scheme comes falling down around them, and they do get brought to justice. Now, Lynn Turner was found dead in prison on August the 30th, 2010. Now, that was suspected from an overdose from a stash of prescription pills she had been hoarding. Funny how both Stacey Caster and Lynn Turner both died relatively quickly once in prison. Now, if Lynn had gotten away with both murders and it was just luck that both Glenn and Randy's mums got in contact, I'm sure she would have probably moved away and just kept on doing this, just find some other guy she could mark, get involved, and then once suitable... I can't talk. Then once she gets some suitable life insurance set up, make him some lime jello, rinse, repeat, bitch. So at least Lynn didn't try to blame it on her kids like Stacey Caster. Sad when that's probably one of her most redeeming features. Well, so that's the other half of last week's show, I suppose. I know it was a little bit quick, this one, but I just thought, let's go through the basic details of both. Like I said, there's Snapped and there's Forensic Files, both have shows on this if you want to watch those videos. But it was quite interesting, I thought, how one person can look at a a documentary and go, that's what I'm going to do. And so many similar things, how the first husband, both of them, have basically gotten away with it. And it's not until the second husband dies that they're getting suspected more and further investigations, they have to exhume both of the first husbands in both cases and then everything just comes crashing down and there's so much circumstantial evidence but luckily they're both convicted and there is some justice okay so if you're on facebook if you're on this will be on youtube as well don't forget to comment about this and We'll get on to the next one. Now, there is another ethylene glycol murder that I'm looking at. So I don't know if I'll bring that and we'll put them all together. I don't think it's the uh, wife killing husbands. I think it's got something to do with Hamish people. Hamish? Hamish. 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 Good day, Hamish. Paul Hamish is out. 
I don't know. We'll see what happens. Anyway, this week, let's get into the patrons. And thanks to all my past, present, and new patrons, your financial support, it really does make a difference as True Crime Island is commercial-free for everyone. So no annoying ads for undies, food, delivery, or shit like that. And all my content is available for everyone, no matter if you can donate or not. And thanks to James Ramsey this week. Thanks, mate. And... Like I said, it's very much appreciated. Also, sorry, I was supposed to send out emails for rewards last week. I got very busy last week. So this week I will email those who are getting mugs and T-shirts. I will be sending out emails just to get an address confirmation, sizing, all that. So please be on the lookout for that. If you want to help out the island, you can go to Patreon dot com forward slash true crime island if you don't like that monthly thing you can also donate to paypal buy me a beer or something the paypal link is donate dot true crime island dot com or paypal dot me forward slash true crime island don't forget everyone support yourself before you support the island because i know times are tough at the moment also if you want to merch I've got a shop on Threadless and Redbubble. I've updated my website, truecrimeisland.com, and there is a contact and merch link at the top, and that will get you to Threadless and Redbubble. The website will also have links to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing, and also by sharing it with your friends and family, which is really good. Let's get the more people on the island. Now, please feel free to check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. There's only about one more week before I'll be drawing for the 1,000 subs t-shirt. So get on there. There is a 1,000 subs video. All you have to do is put a comment in there. And there's this piece of software I've got that goes through, randomly churns up all the comments and spits somebody's name out. So probably about in a week or so I will draw that. But I will let you know the exact date. If you want to contact me, the best way is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. All the other ways are quite difficult for me to go back over and search if required, especially if you've given me a suggestion Then I think, oh, in a few months' time I can do that one. I can never find it if it's on a Facebook message or whatever. Old-fashioned email is always the best. Now, at the end of this week, I've got a promo for Excuse Me, That's Illegal by Leroy Luna. Now, I'll let him describe it in the promo and I think you'll probably like it I don't know okay that's about it I've been your host Cambo you've been listening to True Crime Island and as I always say don't forget to delete your browser history night and check your jello or your device tea boom like a lugger oh hey there You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as the Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal, 
is available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you.